person inside out and you say how appropriate. Hello and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that brings the pop culture hits of our youth out of the past to see how they hold up now. With a focus primarily on the years 1980 to 2000, we revisit our old favorites and some of our less than favorites with equally unforgiving eyes and ears. Today, we invite you to swallow it down as we revisit Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. Don't spit. Swallow. I'm Seth Pearson, and I'm the host most likely to go down on you in a theater. I'm Becky, and I'm the host most likely to have one hand in my pocket, and the other one is hailing a taxi cab. And I'm Chris, <laughs> your podcast host most likely to meet the man of his dreams and then meet his beautiful wife. Hmm. Isn't that coincidental? <laughs> Slightly. It's definitely not ironic. <laughs> Serendipitous at most. <laughs> Before we go into our topic of the day, we're going to kick it over to Chris to address some of the recent things that have been said about this podcast. It's terrible. No, that's not really what was said. Oh, thank God. Why would we share that? I was really scared. Hey, if someone writes us a one-star review and trashes us with constructive criticism, I will be happy (laughs) to read it on the air. But no one who's going to give one star is going to give constructive criticism. <laughs> That's when it's like Beyond Repair. <laughs> well, Beyond Repair might be the title of our new, our Look, next review. Y'all, we'd love to read your reviews, but only if they're three stars or above. Four stars or above. No, I'm, I'm, I'll read a trashy one. Wow. But our latest review is a five-star review. Yay! From another oh, thank God. great fan of ours, Sousaphone Colossus. <laughs> I really hope that's your real name. (laughs) The title of this review is Fun, Nostalgic Look at 80s and 90s Pop Culture. A very accurate description of our podcast. Very succinct. The review is as follows. If you, like me, were born anywhere from the mid-70s to the early 90s, kind of a wide age range, but... (laughs) How old are you, Sousaphoon Colossus? (laughs) Mr. or Ms.? Uh, he or she is immortal because she or he is an X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, That's accurate. No, she's correct on this. If you were born anywhere from the mid-70s to the early 90s, you'll enjoy these three hosts' retrospective look at pop culture artifacts many of us share. Even if you missed or weren't interested in some of the topics they cover, Seth, Becky, and Chris always put a funny and thoughtful spin on things. For instance, I was never much of a Don Bluth fan, but I still found their two-hour discussion of his movies really engaging. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, it was two hours? You guys, no one told me. Every episode we've had in the last couple of weeks has been two hours. (laughs) Hope they keep this show going for a long time. Thank you. So do we. I'm going to name my first child Sousaphone Colossus after you. I mean, wasn't that the plan already? (laughs) I mean, either way, it's just... I mean, Sousaphone Colossus, um, you, uh, you've really, you've summarized our show in a very effective way. I think you're not wrong to point out that we've put on some winter weight as far as the episode length goes. And I don't, I'm not sure if today will be any exception. Um, but thank you so well, much I'll for your review. <laughs> oh no. Chris is just going to speak in grunts. Isn't that ironic? And, and vocal tics. I think Chris was not a 13 year old girl at any point. <laughs> No, I wasn't. I, I, and we don't know if Sousaphone Colossus was once a 13-year-old girl, um, but we hope either way that 
um, more of you out there who've listened to and enjoyed this show uh, will leave us a review on iTunes and rate us. You know, the four or five star rating is definitely we, preferable. We do prefer the, the higher rating. Even if you have constructive feedback, we welcome that. And we also welcome any suggestions you might have for future topics that we can address. Um, Mr. or Ms. Colossus, if you have a suggestion uh, for a future episode that reflects something from 1980 to 2000 or so, so uh, let us know. And thank you so much again for your review. Yes, thank you. Um, before we go into the topic of conversation for this episode, um, I wanted to ask each of you a question um, related to your musical taste, but very specifically related to a certain emotion that music can evoke in all of, uh, uh, in all of us. Rage. Um, yeah, specifically anger... Anger. Um, uh, so my question for you is, what was the first artist or album that you connected with musically? Um, or uh, What's a better way to ask it? Um, what was the first musical memory you have that really connected you with the emotion of anger? Um, that can be an album, that can be a particular artist, um, but I feel like everyone has that point in their lives where they connect to an artist or album, um, really not exclusively about anger, but in a way that really specifically brings out anger or appeals to that. Honestly, I'm going to have to say there were two uh, instances, and one was Jagged Little Pill with You Ought to Know, although I will reiterate that I don't think this is angry an album as it's be- it is remembered for. Um but obviously there are some angry tracks in it, or at least, you know, tracks that are emotionally raw and not afraid to be that raw and angry. And, you know, she's belting out her uh, frustration about, you know, boyfriends or whatever it is. Um, but also there are certain tracks on No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom that are very in your face. Um, hey, you. Um, Just sun- a girl. Su- Just a girl. Sunday morning. I'd, I have to say a lot of Tragic, tragic Kingdom has that kind of uh, in-your-face, I'm-not-going-to-take-this personality that uh, was probably a first because, you know, I was listening to a lot of Broadway and a lot of Disney um, before Alanis and Gwen Stefani and uh, Fiona Apple and Jewel came along (laughs) into my life, um, which I'm sure I'll talk about a little bit more as we get along. But uh, that was probably the first few uh, instances uh, especially with female artists that I felt like they were like not afraid to uh, be angry about things. Yeah. I think my first uh, real connection with rage and music was uh, be prepared by Scar (laughs) (laughs) in the Lion King. Yeah. We have talked on the podcast before about the importance of Disney music as kind of our gateway into actual music. Um, and I think that continued a little bit because honestly, the first thing I thought of, which is a little embarrassing, was a song from the Evita soundtrack, <laughs> um, the waltz between Ava and Che, which has some anger to it mm-hmm. and is a little political, um, performed by Madonna and Antonio Banderas. And I just remember the anger of that song really sticking out to me. But in terms of actual bands, what comes to mind for me are artists like Green Day and Everclear and Filter. Those are some of the ones I listened to a lot of like pop punk in high school. And so it wasn't super angry music. I don't think I even listened to anything 
super angry until later, but at least that kind of angsty music, a little Green Day is a little bit of bratty anger a mm-hmm. lot of times, but um, yeah, that kind of fed up with society, not going to take it anymore kind of stuff. But it was still pretty playful and not, I guess, filter. The band is Filter? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't they know did them. that song, Take a Picture. And like, Hey Man, Nice Shot. Yeah. I don't know this band. Yeah, you would probably know Take you'd a Picture hear their if so- you you'd, it. You'd recognize some of their songs. T- but Take a you Picture would. is actually a very nice, like, pretty, pretty song. Yeah. But the rest of their music is a lot harder edge. It's very aggressive yeah. music. Like, so that kind of stuff. That was probably like my, um, okay. what was that album called? I've... Short Bus? Or title of record. Title of record, yes. That okay. was a really important album for me in high school. So that was definitely my great music. Okay. Um, I think the really the first thing that comes to mind for me is this album, Jagged Little Pill. And, I mean, we'll go more into kind of what this means to us. But the overall gist of it is that albums like this and Tragic Kingdom and when I first heard Fiona Apple gave me a vocabulary of anger. and But not just anger, but anguish. And that's a much more subtle thing. And we'll also go into, in a little bit, the critical response to this album, but picking up on something that you mentioned, Becky. This album and a lot of other female artists that you name-checked who came about in around that same part of the 90s were really pigeonholed as just being bitches like angry such as meredith brooks <laughs> yeah <laughs> not just meredith released brooks. a song called bitch right and nothing else ever yeah and basically. nothing else ever <laughs> but they were really i feel pigeonholed and i'm gonna read some critical excerpts in a moment that are hilarious in retrospect but there's there's a way in which uh alanis and artists like her ha- were treated and pigeonholed for being emotionally open and honest Um, But she was one of the first artists, and obviously not remotely the last, but uh, Alanis and, like, Smashing Pumpkins were kind of the first musical artists that really gave me uh, an idea of what what it was like to emotionally express oneself and be very blunt and upfront, but also very um, kind of detailed about the ways that they were anguished. Um, And not just, like, sad because a man done them wrong, which is a literal phrase, like, used by several critics to kind of characterize all of Alanis' music. But trying to, like, fit in in the world and trying to feel like you have a place. And this album, uh, along with a lot of others, kind of helped me feel that at a time in my life when I didn't really feel that. So we'll go briefly into Alanis' background. Uh, Jagged Little Pill was actually her third studio album. She is from Ottawa, Canada, and she released two pop albums, two dance pop albums in Canadia land. If you're familiar with uh, How I Met Your Mother, she's like Robin Sparkles, like let's go to the mall kind of 80s pop with the giant hats and the dance routines. Yeah, she was somewhere between like Tiffany and Paula Abdul. We just watched one of her videos. Oh, it's so embarrassing in hindsight. You know what? I was going to say that I was expecting it to be more embarrassing. Like I actually think she's pretty competent in that role. Like I, I think she looks 
about as good as like Paula Abdul would in in those videos. But that's if like Paula Abdul then became like a poetic like alt rock. Are you saying she didn't? Like <laughs> superstar. <laughs> it's just really weird. It's like if Debbie Gibson then became Adele, but like <laughs> it started as Debbie Gibson. Like it's just so weird to see Debbie Atlantis Adele Gibson. Like that. It it is weird, but. I was because ex- I I feel like there are a lot of stars who have kind of embarrassing music videos in their past. Like Brie Larson, the actress, um, had a brief. <laughs> what is it called? Like I hate Jim or something. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, you know, and they're really, really embarrassing. And yet, I think Alanis, if she had continued being a pop star, would have been a perfectly legitimate pop star because she had the dance moves, she had the voice. You know, she wasn't a bad pop star. Everything about the early 90s is cheesy. I mean, Paula Abdul is cheesy. No, it's very true. Um, All of that is cheesy. But I think that she actually um, had what it took if she wanted to, you know, continue with that kind of music, I I think. Actually, probably spent more time watching her um, (laughs) early 90s pop stuff than I did watching Jagged Little Pill to prepare for this. But um, I feel like you chose unwisely. No, I watched I watched a video of her at a mall tour. Oh my and the, and the oh mall no. got like there it was packed. You know, everyone was really excited for Atlanta. Like she was very she was very popular even for her single Too Hot. <laughs> I want to get out of the mall, Chris. (laughs) These records did sell uh, several hundred thousand copies. Yes. In the Canadia. Okay. I I do want to mention just a few things because... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. She had a demo at 11 years old called Find the Right Man. Oh, my God. (laughs) I listened to that. It's not very good, but it is creepy to hear an 11-year-old, you know, sing about that. Um, Her walkaway music video featured one Matt LeBlanc... Oh, oh she has several music videos that feature Matt LeBlanc. Several? If you want to go down a YouTube rabbit hole, search for, like, Alanis, and then just every year from 1990 onward. <laughs> uh, she opened for Vanilla Ice in concert. Uh, <laughs> her song, Feel Your Love, contains the lyric, Party time is anytime, and anytime is party time. <laughs> did she co-write these songs or write them? She did co-write some of them. I don't know if it was all of them, but yeah, she was still she was already writing at this point. Yeah, I have to give a special shout out to An Emotion Away, a pop song that I discovered that I actually quite like as a cheesy early 90s. Shaking my head, you can't see. We can feel it, though. Actually, Becky we is slitting her own throat as we, <laughs> as we record. <laughs> All right, that's all I have on Alanis's pop career. <laughs> we can now continue to lesser works such as Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> well, uh, her first album, Alanis, went platinum in Alanis or Alanis? Alanis. Alanis. But we're going to be making the switch between Alanis and Alanis throughout the podcast. We're code so. switching, y'all. Um, so her her 1991 debut, Alanis, uh, did go platinum in Canada. Her second album, called Now is the Time, sold half as many, and it was seen as a failure. But she had only a two-album deal in Canada. So once her record deal was done, 
her publisher introduced her to a new manager who then introduced her to the producer Glenn Ballard, who was a pop and rock producer um, in L.A. who'd had a lot of success getting songs on the pop charts. And they kind of immediately hit it off, started writing songs within minutes of meeting each other, and they collaborated to make this third album, Jagged Little Pill. The demo recording session started in 1994 at his home studio and were just the two of them. And they recorded songs as they wrote. They did kind of 12 or 16 hour long marathon sessions, just kind of barreling through one song at a time together. And they took her demo vocals to use as the final vocals and redid the instrumentals later in studios. Her first single was the song You Ought to Know. And it was a song that she and Glenn Ballard recorded in bare bones fashion in the studio. Then they enlisted Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction and Flea, the bassist from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, to produce the instrumentation along with her drummer. Um, And so they did a couple versions of the song. They also brought in other musicians, like um, there's a singer-songwriter, Michelle Ndegiocello, who's a singer-songwriter and also a bassist. And so there is a version of the song that appears at the end of the album that has some slightly different instrumentation. I was wondering why the same song appears twice on this That's album. That's why. It's just a different mix. Hmm. Um, and it so doesn't there's, sound that different yeah, to me. Yeah, it doesn't it sounds, sound... It, it sounds very similar. Um, and it's also, they're both produced very similarly. Yeah, um, I was trying to hear the difference and couldn't. I just thought they put it on because it's like, remember that song from the beginning of the album? Here it is again. Reprise. Elenis and Glenn Ballard didn't really have uh, gigantic expectations for this. Uh, They just kind of organically grew their songwriting and collaborating relationship together and went with where the songs took them. Uh, But K-Rock, an FM radio station here in Los Angeles... Uh, kind of helped launch Alanis into the stratosphere when they started playing You Oughta Know on the radio here. All I Really Want and Hand in My Pocket followed soon after, but then she had her biggest hit with the song Ironic. So Ironic is bigger than You Oughta Know? Yeah, Ironic was her biggest hit ever. Um, Then You Learn and Head Over Feet, the fifth and sixth singles, kept Jagged Little Pill in the top 20 on the Billboard 200 albums chart for more than a year. Isn't it amazing? There are 12 songs on this album, and half of them were singles. Yeah. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. And I have the dates here, too. Like, the You Ought to Know was released in July 1995. The last single was released in December 96. So she was... Year and a half. Yeah. She was playing for a long time. And picking up on that, she then immediately went on tour worldwide for 18 months. Um, and between the kind of radio successes of all those singles and the huge success of that tour, um, Jagged Little Pill is one of the most successful albums of the 1990s. I think of like all time. Yeah. Right? It is absolutely one of the biggest selling albums of all time. It has sold at least 33 million copies. Um, and that's as of 2009. That's not even an updated statistic. And she uh, re-released 10 years ago, or, you know, 10 years after the release of Jag Little Pill, she re-released it as an acoustic album as well, because I own that, and I own everything she's ever done. <laughs> so I, of course, own that, too. <laughs> Becky is sitting here wearing Alanis's skin right now. <laughs> I'm naked, and my and my long Alanis hair is uh, covering my boobs. <laughs> Becky's wearing an Alanis nudie suit. <laughs> 
Before we go into our overall impressions and track-by-track favorites of Jagged Little Pill, I want to briefly repeat some contemporaneous critical responses to the album. I mentioned earlier, uh, I'll use the word, I thought there was a very sexist reaction and characterization of Alanis's music and of all of the kind of female singer-songwriters of the 1990s. Stephen Thomas Earlywine from All Music gave it a very positive review, relatively speaking, giving it four and a half out of five stars. But quoting from his review, he says, It's remarkable that Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill struck a sympathetic chord with millions of listeners because it's so doggedly, determinedly insular. As slick as the music is, the lyrics are unvarnished, and Morissette unflinchingly explores emotions so common, most people would be ashamed to articulate them. That does doesn't make Jagged Little Pill great, but it does make it a fascinating record. And Robert Criscow gave it a B-plus grade, mainly praising its thematic content. And here's his quote. She's happy to help 15 million girls of many ages stick a basic feminist truth in our faces. Privileged phonies have identity problems, too. Not to mention man problems. Wow, that with a B-plus, huh? That doesn't sound like a B-plus review. It really doesn't. Yeah, no, that kind of doesn't match at all. Um, so, so yeah, so I just wanted to give y'all a taste of some of the overall critical response, even among two critics who gave it a very relatively positive review. There's a kind of pigeonholing of all of her music, and it's like a 57-minute long record. And on the overall level, I would say... I've said many times about this particular record that it was an album that saved my life. Jagged Little Pill was the first album I bought on a CD with my own money. Um, It was not the first CD I had. I had, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber CDs and stuff that were given to me as gifts. But I had, like, allowance money from doing chores. And I bought this with my own money. And I was very proud of that. And I was also very proud because I knew that You Want to Know had naughty lyrics in it. And my mom insisted on reading the lyrics but she like uh, by that point allowed like at bedtime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, "Mummy, tell like, me are the you one... thinking of me when you fuck her? <laughs> tell me the one about the theater, mummy. I need sweet dreams tonight." <laughs> <laughs> My home life was horrifying. <laughs> so better than Becky's. <laughs> um. But my obviously it was too late for my mom to really raise any protest. Um, but it was it was one of the first moments in my life where I got a piece of artistic expression that I knew would kind of piss my parents off. Um, and so there was kind of a thrilling part of that. <laughs> but then once I actually heard all the music, it gave voice to so many things that I was feeling at the time. Um, I At that point in my life, when I first got Jagged Little Pill, um, I was still going to Sunday school, and I was, I was getting confirmed in the church. I was a Presbyterian, um, and I was v- like at the very, very beginning stages of figuring out that I was gay. Um, and so many things about this album give voice to not feeling like you belong and feeling like... Uh, everyone is just putting expectations on you that you could never possibly fulfill, and that a lot of people in a lot of various kinds of relationships just want to take advantage of you. Um, And so there was a lot that she 
sang about and made these ridiculously catchy pop songs about that I was feeling and that no other musician that I had heard before was talking about. Um, and not even just in blunt terms, but in kind of very poetic terms. And and there was a, another thing I loved about the music was it kind of felt a little bit um, ragged around, like rough around the edges, um, even though it is also kind of glossy pop. Um, like a, she's always crammed way too many words into every line. And I kind of, loved that about her immediately because I've always been a very verbose person. <laughs> I'm not exactly one for brevity in any situation. Um, but I kind of immediately fell in love with her music and it was kind of a pivotal point in my musical taste, um, but also in my wanting to be a creative person who could convey the things that I was feeling in a way that was even remotely as effective as she could. Becky. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying about brevity, Seth? <laughs> oh, man. I when liked I, it. <laughs> when, I, when we decided to do this podcast, like, I, I love Alana so much, and I haven't listened to Jagged Little Pill in a while, but, oh, it just all flooded right back to me. <laughs> I listened to it. I listened to the original album three times this past week. I listened to the uh, acoustic album she did 10 years later once. I watched uh, the DVD of her tour uh, that she went on, um, which I don't think I had ever seen. Like, I think I bought it, but just never watched it. So it was some real 90s realness in there. <laughs> just like the, the film quality itself was just so oh, yeah, 90s. Super grainy. And, like, yeah, it was just really interesting to 16 see. 16 millimeter. Uh, something that was so pivotal of the 90s made in the 90s um, on DVD. It was just strange. Um, I I love this album so much. I don't think there's a bad track on it. And Alanis was one of the first role models I ever had as a kid. Um, this just very genuine, likable female, um, not much older than me. She was only 21 when she made this album, and I was 13. Like, that's insane to think that she was that close in my age when you think about and it. And really, she was 19 when she was writing these songs. Right. Like, that's insane to me to think that she was so young um, and not much older than me. And she's so wise in this album. Um, and just, I, I have so many memories of having my disc man back in the day, you know, before iPods. <laughs> and I lived on Long Island. We would take trips to the city to see, like, Broadway shows. And I would bring my disc man with me. So the thing with disc mans is... Unless you made like a, a mix, um, which I even think that was a later thing where you could make your own mix CDs, um, you could only bring one album with you at a yep. time. So a lot of that would be, and this is my uh, older sister's copy that I'm holding the lyric sheet in my hands right now. It was my older sister's CD, but I wanted to be cool like her. And so that's how I discovered Alanis was going through her albums. And of course, she was like on the radio at the time. Um, and I would bring Jag Little Pill. I would bring um, the lyrics with me and I would read the lyrics on the train and as she was singing. And it was the first time I actually paid attention to lyrics in music. Um, this was that was one of the biggest things for me, too, is that that's when I really started becoming a stickler for lyrics. Yeah, it just I mean, she was just saying these these things that no one at the time, at least in, you know, that I know of, obviously, they're a female recording artist you know, in the seventies and beyond earlier. But at that time they, she was just saying things that I could relate to or that I was um, intrigued by. Um, 
and she was just very true about it. And it was, it was just so poetic. And I was really starting to really like poetry and do my own writing at the time. So just reading her lyrics and the songs actually meant something. It wasn't just like chorus, verse, chorus, verse, you know, let's fill in those lines with some filler. Like she actually was trying to say something and it really meant a lot to me. And I, you know, did a lot of poetry writing at the time. And I think it was directly inspired by Alanis. And I wrote some songs. I even, I was really inspired by Weird Al at the time. <laughs> but all of the songs that I parodied were like Alanis songs and Mariah Carey songs. <laughs> nice. nice. So I have like my own versions of You Learn. Um, Weird Bex. <laughs> oh, oh, Weird Becky Bankovic. <laughs> Not as catchy. Oh, oh Bankovic. <laughs> um, so this this album just means, and her, she was the first person I ever saw in concert, her in Garbage. It was for her supposed former infatuation junkie tour, um, and Garbage opened, or they were co-headlining, and that was the first concert I ever saw. Um, Alanis was the first concert that I ever saw. Yeah, she's just great. I've... I've seen her in concert a lot of times since. I met her at a bookstore once, and I was so excited. I was, like, too excited to meet her that when I finally, like, got up and she was going to sign my album, I said something along the lines of, thank you so much for coming out. And I, like, met, like, that day. But, it like, I was like, oh, no, does she think that I think she's gay? <laughs> like, that I'm a lesbian and I'm thanking her? Like, I just remember being really embarrassed, but I was so, like... I just wanted to say thank you for liking Muff. <laughs> Here, I mean, here at the bookstore. <laughs> I was just so nervous to meet. She's one of my idols. And like, I, um, she still is. I love her. I love her to death. Chris? <laughs> How do you follow that? Okay. Well, my story is the opposite of your stories. I had a knife fight in an alley with her. <laughs> no, uh, when Jagged Little Pill was released, I think I was still about a year away from listening to real contemporary pop rock music. Uh, my first album that I bought was No Doubt, so I think that was about a year later. Mm -hmm. um, so my opinion of Alanis to date has been neutral to slightly negative, and I don't know exactly why. I, I didn't know why. And so when we were doing this topic, I wanted to go in fresh because I respect her as a person, as a feminist. You know, I think she's an artist who promotes good things in the world. She's obviously very talented. So I wanted to approach this album fresh perspective and, and maybe even discover what it was about her that um, that I had a slightly, it was, it's not a very negative feeling, but a slightly, like you're she kind of bugs just for me you? a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I have no real connection to Jagged Little Pill. I wouldn't have even known most of these songs had you said them by title. Um, like, ironic, I would have been like, I've, I know that's an Alanis Morissette song, but I couldn't sing it for you. You ought to know. Do you want me to sing it right now? No, nope, I, I, I sure don't. I sure don't. Wait till after the podcast. We'll have a sing-along. <laughs> you ought to know. I would I would have been able to hear that and know that that's her. And um, I always have liked the song Head Over Feet. But to me, Alanis Morissette was primarily known as playing God in Dogma because I was a big fan of that movie uh, in high school. And she has a very amusing cameo at the end where... As God? Yes, as God, where she <laughs> says that the meaning of life is boop. <laughs> um, and also the um, City of Angels soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uninvited. Uninvited. I always thought that that was a really good song. So apparently... 
Alanis Morissette is very religious for me because she's God in City of Angels. Um, so when I was listening to this album, um, <laughs> I was a wind up. I was listening to some of the tracks and thinking, oh, like, this is pretty good. Why didn't I like this? And then I got to Ironic. And it all came flooding back because I hate that song. Do you, oh, my God. Do you hate it because you're going to say it's not ironic or you no, just don't hate the music? You don't I, like the music. I didn't even pay that much attention to the actual irony or non-irony of it. But so there was a commercial that I remember hearing, and I don't know what it was for. It was maybe for, like, <laughs> a now that's what I call music CD or something like that. I think you're right. Wait, yeah. no, what? Tell me. So it would play these, like, five-second clips of different artists, and one of them was Alanis, and they wouldn't say what song it was, but they would be like, Alanis Morissette, and then they would play... It's like, like Rain! Is that yes. the only part they would play? Yes, that was just the that only part. part they would play. I remember that And it irritated commercial. me, and I saw it hundreds of times, oh, I it was, swear. It had to be one of those compilations. We have to find out which compilation that is. Yeah, and and it was you're right that it was that exact like five second snippet. You know what? It annoyed me. I think I remember the same thing, but some a different compilation where they would just go and I'm here, and then it would cut to another song, yes. and they just use that one clip yes. from You Ought to Know. So I didn't know that that was the song. Ironic. I just that, to me that was Al- Alanis Morissette was those That's a little too three or four words, <laughs> and to me that clip personified something that I didn't particularly like about the 90s, which is like a vanilla kind of rage, which is just, it's not really rooted in anything. And I'm not from Gen X, so I don't necessarily think I can speak about what people then were thinking or feeling. But for whatever reason, I find this brand of angst a little bit bland. And to me, like just those like few words just seem like whining to me. And it, Maybe it is unfair, but it just kind of personified Alanis as this whiner to me. And that, like, I'm like, what are you complaining about? You're from Canada. Like, to me, like, something like Nirvana is disturbing and provocative. Like, that's the kind of 90s angst I can get behind. And with Alanis, it's more like, oh, it's raining on my wedding day. Okay, so you think that about ironic, but do you hold that opinion for the rest of the album? Well, I think we'll find out as we go through. But anyway, that's where I was coming from in thinking of Alanis, is that, like, she... To me, she kind of seemed like she was trying too hard or kind of posing in a way, and... Do you come away with that impression having heard this album in its entirety now? Yes and no. Maybe. Let's... (laughs) We'll go through it. And now that see. you've answered that question, but every conceivable way. Yes, I, I've been trying to set aside that baggage and just come into it fresh. But it is—it's like kind of a visceral like reaction that I have to her that I don't necessarily want to have. But that's that's just—and I think it's that fucking commercial that just like pounded it into me. I, and it's like I think it is. We have to find that person. Well, let's talk about that. Well, let's just launch into it. So now let's go song by song on a magic carpet ride. Through Jagged Little Pill. Why are you so petrified of silence? Here, can you handle this? Did you think about your bills, your ex, your deadlines? Or when you think you're gonna die? Or did you long for the next 
That was All I Really Want by Alanis Morissette. <laughs> Number 55 on the countdown. <laughs> this one goes out to Becky's dog, Charlie Bain. One of the things that really leapt out at me from the first time I played the first track of the CD, there's a great bridge in the opening song, All I Really Want, that features a false stop that references itself in the lyrics. And that's a pop songwriting trick that other songwriters have certainly done before, but I, I don't know if I had ever heard it kind of outside of jazz and blues, really. Um, and it was very clever that it was like referencing itself in the lyrics to me. I really loved that from the start and that pulled me into the album immediately. No, I can't handle that. It <laughs> freaks me out whenever they stop a song in the middle of I the song. I love when they stop songs. Chris couldn't handle it. He was he was shaking very violently on the couch. We had to restrain him. I'm sorry, Chris. Yeah, that was bound to happen in the Lannis Morissette episode. Do y'all have anything on you ought to know? I still think you ought to know if it came out today, it would be just as big a hit. I think it's hasn't aged at all, honestly. I mean, we might do this later, but I think it's the best song on the album. I mean, just it's the most powerful one out of in an album of powerful songs. It's just so iconic. Isn't it iconic? Isn't it iconic? Don't you think? <laughs> Did you forget about me, Mr. Duplicity? I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner. There was a snap in the face. How quickly I was replaced. And I am thinking of me when you... Like, I still sing this song. This is like my go-to karaoke song <laughs> whenever I go to karaoke. Like, I still <laughs> awesome. sing this. I just really love in this whole album, like, she's really belting. She's really, like, belting it out. And she can be really gentle, but I think something that's missing in her follow-up albums is this uh, kind of, like, ragey scream singing that is really glorious because she's very gentle in later albums. And she's gentle here, but there's a nice mix and I really like those screamy kind of moments because when you're singing along, like those are the fun ones to scream out and you're screaming like that. I watched the um, ironic music video recently and haven't seen it forever. And I think that also is really iconic as far as the 90s music Isn't videos it ironic goes. and <laughs> iconic? I just like the word iconic. Um, A little too iconic. It's really memorable. And, I, and yeah, I and, really do think. And um, in the music video, it's almost like, we're all Alanis on a road trip together, like all these women singing, and we all feel like we're Alanis singing. Hashtag, we are not. all Alanis. <laughs> but that's what I got. Not all Alanises. <laughs> not all Alanises. That's what I got when I watched it. I was like, you know what? I do feel I did feel that way with my girlfriends singing these songs at the top of our lungs. Like, we felt mm-hmm. like we were rock stars. Um, and I really like that in a lot of these songs, but the, the most in You Ought to Know. Yeah, um, I think You Oughta Know, as one of the few songs that I knew from this album already before listening to it for the podcast, is what gave Alanis that image that Seth was discussing earlier. One of the things that surprised me about this album is that I would not call this a breakup album by any means. There are maybe three or four songs that are kind of breakup mm-hmm. songs. There are a few songs that are direct, that are direct have the same kind of anger but are directed toward 
other entities that we'll talk about as we go through the rest of the songs. Um, I was really expecting this to be a full-on Dave Coulier diss <laughs> from start <laughs> to finish. Just track. I knew we weren't going to get through this podcast without mentioning Did we that ever name. find... So, for those who don't know, like... It's rumored that You Ought to Know is about Dave Coulier, who is also Canadian, the guy from Full House, Uncle Joey. Did we ever find out if that's real or it's still a rumor? So I did extensive research of wikipedia.org. <laughs> 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 um, no, I, I looked all over and it's been, what, like 20 years now. They've both joked around saying yes and no. Like, it, there's... It's probably not about him, is is what the general consensus is. It's because they um, did date at some point. They did date at some point, but she said in other interviews that it was meant to be a more general thing, even if it was kind of calling on specific memories or partial associations with him. It's kind of, as screenwriters do, um, songwriters also combine truthful experiences that happened with different people into one thing. Absolutely. Although I did find a quote from Dave Coulier. Dave, well, Dave Coulier is the one who seems most invested in making it real. <laughs> right, because what else, what else does he have? Fuller House. Uh, he said, as he was listening to uh, You Ought to Know on the radio the first time, he said, I said, wow, this girl is angry. And then I said, oh man, I think it's Alanis. I listened to the song over and over again, and I said, I think I have really hurt this person. <laughs> So he might think it's about him, but it may not be about him. Yeah, I mean, it, maybe it's a Carly Simon, you're so vain kind it's of... Uh, Carly uh -huh. Simon syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Carly Simonosis. It's terminal and there is no cure. One of the things that you were talking about was I agree that like a lot of people pinned Alanis as being this angry person. And I think it's because there are a few angry songs of this album and her biggest single, You Wanna Know, is is angry about a guy. But like there's angry uh, anger song about parents. There's an angry song about the Catholic Church and religion. There's also love songs. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of irritating and to be pigeonholed as this angry chick because when she kind of didn't do that following up, I think people were like, oh, but you're this thing, so I'm going to tune out now. Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Madonna's record company, Maverick, was actually the only company that would release Jagged Little Pill. All of the other major studios rejected it. So to borrow a phrase that Madonna has used before, the critical response to Alanis's music was reductive. I wanted to note the song Perfect, which comes right after You Ought to Know. This was one of the songs on Jagged Little Pill that emotionally devastated me in the best way. It's a beautiful song. Um, it's an absolutely beautiful song, and it's about kind of domineering parents and... Like dance moms, like stage manager moms. And she was a young actress, and I'm kind of wondering if she either saw this or through her parents or maybe other people's parents around her growing up. Yeah, and just quoting the, some of the lyrics that I really like, um, sometimes is never quite enough. If you're flawless, then you'll win my love. Um, and we'll love you just the way you are if you're perfect. Yeah, it makes me um, cry. Which still. is the very last line of the song. And it, it still, yeah, it still totally rips my guts out. It gave voice to a thing that I was feeling really hardcore at the time as an overachieving 3.8 grade point average student who could never quite get to 4.0 and did not hear the end of it. Um and, you know, just being driven to focus on all the kinds of things in life that don't ultimately matter remotely to your success or happiness. So it was just a song that I really, really connected to. Be a good boy. 
Yeah, listening to this album for the first time, I mean, nothing about the first track really surprised me. It sounded more or less like what I thought I would get from this album, and then there was You Oughta Know. And then this is the first song that really surprised me because I heard the lyrics first and something about being a good boy. I was like, okay, it's a breakup song. And it wasn't until I listened to it again and actually looked at the lyrics that I was like, oh, this is definitely not a breakup song. This is clearly about... uh, parents and children and yeah i had just spent a long time watching uh music videos of alanis in her (laughs) teen years uh working her ass off she one of she said this in one of the documentaries that was made about her before um before jagged little pill and she had been up for like two days straight like dancing in one of those videos and was like i don't know how maybe that's legal in canada they love child labor up there and that's what everyone has really praised about Alanis is her work ethic. And she clearly had it. I mean, she was singing a song about finding the right man at 11 <laughs> years old. So, I mean, clearly there was some parent, like her parents were pretty lax about something, you know, because most parents would probably not. Uh, Allow their 11 year old to work that hard and sing that song. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> even if she didn't mean this directly at her parents, I mean, I think that had to be, something organic to her. And that was the first track that kind of made me realize that this album is a little bit more than just the angsty album I heard previewed on a... Now that's what I call music commercial or whatever that was. <laughs> God, I, that has been stuck in my head. I'm going to make that my ringtone for when you call me. That's fine as long as I don't have to hear it. Just don't put it as like the sound I hear. The next song was Hand in My Pocket uh, and it was a pretty big single. Uh, does anyone have specific... I just, I mean, I like it like I like all the songs. Yeah, I definitely think it's a much more straightforward, like, pop song. Um, Not necessarily trying to convey um, emotions as complicated or specific as a song like Perfect. I'm sad, but I'm laughing. I'm brave, but I'm chicken shit. I'm sick, but I'm pretty. This is the brand of Alanis that I don't really connect to that much. It's this song and then You Learn and Ironic, where she's being, I guess, wise, we might say. She's being a wise older sister. Yeah, and that, I, I'm i just not a fan of it. It's not really my kind of music. I don't really connect to the lyrics. And that was really the impression I had of Alanis. And I think a lot of her later albums kind of carried on the themes of these songs through. And that's why I didn't really connect to later Alanis either, for the most part. Um, so yeah, I'll just say like this song, I think it's a good, good enough song. Like I don't hate this song, but it's also just not, not really my thing. So we'll move on to the next song right through you. Uh, this is a really hard rockin' song. This is definitely one of the more distorted, crunchy guitar songs on the album. One of the things that I think 
drew a lot of younger people to like this album was the fact that like she curses in a song and like yeah. the whole wine dine 69 me part mm. is like a naughty thing to sing it really is yeah. and i was like what is, what is that number took me up I, to wine nine sixty nine me didn't hear a damn word i said like i can like picture myself as a teenager with my friends we're all singing that part like, oh yeah Ooh! oh yeah no and it was like <laughs> Those moments in karaoke where everyone knows like one line, and even so, even if they didn't know yeah. all the rest of the song, like um, it literally was. I think the first time I heard the term '69, and it was I, around, and I did the, look around it up. the time. Yeah, yeah. You took a long hard look at my ass and then played golf for a while You shake us like a fish, you pat me on the head Took me out to wine night 69 but didn't hear I I mean, I think this one and You Ought to Know has a lot of lyrics that are similar, that are kind of naughty. And I, I I connect most to these kinds of songs that are a little bit naughty and a little bit more angry and more viscerally angry than, which is kind of the image that I had of her in general. But um, I enjoy this song. And uh, when Seth was talking about reviews earlier, I had also looked at reviews and Entertainment Weekly gave this album a C plus um, and one of the you, never liked, <laughs> I've never liked their music reviews yeah they're definitely better on uh, other mediums I think but uh, one of the things they said about it was that in her songs men take her for granted and mentally abuse her and she retaliates by threatening to leave one of her ex's names off her album credits what that pointed out to me is that like this person had seen this song as a breakup song whereas to me this song seems fairly clearly directed at, like, a former manager or someone. It who, seems like it could be either. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. it's not necessarily a boyfriend. Right. Like, it seemed to me like it was someone who had tried to take advantage of her, like, musically, and wanted to 69 her, because, like, that's how you would treat a young, hot pop star, is you'd take her out and, you know, probably hope mm. to sleep with her. But right. it didn't seem to me that it was someone she'd actually dated. It seemed like she'd fended off their advances and that this yeah. person had then not carried her career forward and that's why their name is not on her album not because it's an ex of hers so I think that the reaction to this album was very simplified in that oh she's angry at her ex-boyfriends whereas there's this rage that's actually very well placed in being angry at not just exes but also I mean we talked about perfect her parents or you know certain kinds of parents and then also managers is this album to me works best when it's angry at everyone that you know that a young woman could be angry at and that includes for someone who grew up as a performer definitely people who tried to take advantage of her and probably mismanaged her career yeah no like i th- i think it really is um 
both more widely and in more specific ways kind of about toxic relationships of all the forms that they can take in your life and like how painful they are in every different facet. And yeah, like I definitely, I even took that kind of business uh, angle from the lyrics when I first heard it. Um, And obviously I was never uh, objectified or uh, used or, and any of that in a in a similar fashion but i really connected with what she expresses in that song about how transparent a lot of people are even when they think they're being slick so it ended up being a song that i really connected with even if i didn't have kind of life experience that resonated with it so the next song is forgiven and i you know i didn't grow up catholic or very religious at all but I just always liked this song because she's just a gorgeous singer. And I think she sings the hell out of this song. And there's parts that are just so vulnerable and then parts that are so like fierce. Like she just goes through all these emotions in this song. It's just beautiful. Yeah. So this was never a single. And this was definitely one of the songs that I emotionally connected to and still treasure the most. I think it's still absolutely stunningly gorgeous um the acoustic guitar treatment in it is just fantastic um the chord progression and the arrangement are like almost david bowie-ish in in a way um it has that kind of chorus that starts ascending and ascending and then like really gets rocking in the in the real like roaring chorus part um And like I mentioned earlier, at this time in my life, I was really struggling with the idea of faith. Um, I was confirmed uh, as a Presbyterian and went through the confirmation process. And as part of that, I had to write a quote-unquote faith journey and describe, like, give a personal narrative of how I found my faith in my life and where I felt, like, how I felt about it. And it was in the process of that that I realized I didn't believe in any God whatsoever and was actually an atheist. Um, but I still wrote one, and I still got confirmed. Um, and so this song hit so hard because, though I was not Catholic, like I was just starting to grapple with that innate human guilt. Um, and so like the lyrics of, we all had our reasons to be there, we all had a thing or two to learn, we all needed something to cling to, so we did. Um, and and then like the, the key hook of the song, if I jump in this fountain, will I be forgiven? Um, it really hit me as like something, uh, as someone who's kind of kind of lost uh, as to what I felt spiritually in any kind of sense of the word, um, but who definitely didn't feel like I belonged in this thing in this church and in this process that I was going through, and I felt pressured and responsible to go through. Um, it made me feel really guilty, and it made me feel like that was something that I needed to somehow be forgiven of. But it, either way, it was a song that really hit hard. Um, and this album grapples with like struggling against religious faith while also kind of struggling toward something resembling like a spiritual connection or awareness. She got really into that in her um, follow-up album. She so. absolutely really got into that later on. Um, but again, I think it ties in with the themes in this album about toxic relationships because you have to find your own kind of ways of connecting to other people and ways of relating to people that are individual to you and that actually fulfill you and that aren't some kind of pre-described dogma that is some kind of dogma that's uh, forced on you or um, some kind of relationship that you're forced into either. Could we actually hear a clip of Forgiven? Because I've only heard these songs a couple times, and that's one that I need a little reminder yeah, yeah. of. 
My brothers, they never went blind for what they did. That obviously is a masturbation reference. And that's another thing that's a little bit dark. But I find this song really very mature. Yeah, for a 19-year-old. Yeah, Yeah. just the way that it's grappling with questions of faith. And I don't think the song necessarily comes down too heavily on any side of it, but really does question, you know, religion in general. And at least a, a patriarchal way of thinking and another line uh i confess my darkest deeds to an envious man yeah i I always love that one so much it's definitely um i mean can kind of infer what he's envious of but it seems to me at least i read it as someone who's envious of her being a woman and being free and yet wanting to condemn her for that just us talking about these lyrics, like I really think she's honestly one of the best lyricists in in rock or pop music, um, for that matter. Especially this album, that it's it is very poetic, but also very accessible at the same time. That I think is kind of a challenge in her later albums, and we can talk about those a little mm-hmm. bit later. But I think that this one really perfects these true poetic thoughts, but presenting them in a very accessible pop way. Um, that and again, like with very extremely catchy melodies yeah, and chord progressions, crazy, like, crazy hooks, like crazy melodies, oh yeah. great yeah. production that I, I'm just like s- still in all of this album. Um, and then the next song was You Learn. Um, and with this one, I mean, it was really at this point in the album that I kind of stepped back in my head and was like, wow, the sequencing of this album is kind of perfect. Um, the It's like such a good, like, relatively very straightforward pop song um, right after that very heavy, very dramatic in a lot of different ways, both melodically and thematically, like after that song. And I feel like as ridiculously stacked as this album is with singles, um, the sequencing of the album itself really helps all of these songs flow together in a good way, not be kind of redundant, but very much be a, a companions to each other and flow very well. Recommend biting up more than you can do to anyone I certainly do I recommend sticking your foot in your mouth at any time yeah,
I just love this. Her lyrics are telling you like you should fuck up because <laughs> you'll learn from. Well, it. yeah, like the thing that I love is like the 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 double meaning of you learn, like both in the sense that you know, like in life, you you learn lessons about things, but also the the warning of you will motherfucking learn like one way or another, and you'll probably fuck it up a lot and. Yeah. But she's encouraging you. Like, she's saying you should bite off more than you can chew. Yep. Um, You know, she's telling you, like, you know, do these things. Like, don't worry about it. Just do them. Yeah. And you'll be a better person for it. Yeah, I don't know. This is one of the ones I find a little bit more trite. And I just connect with her more when, like, on a track like Forgiven that's a little mm-hmm. bit more personal and angry. I mean, I do think she's a very smart person and was wise beyond her years when she wrote this album. I mean, you can tell that in a lot of the tracks, but there's a certain brand of, like, wisdom that I feel like I didn't need from a 20-year-old, you know, girl. Not because she's a girl or not because she was 20 years old, but just because, like, I don't find it particularly meaningful, these these lyrics. I thought of the the right word to describe. It's a much broader pop song. Yeah. It's a broad pop song. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like, comedy can be broad. Like, this and Ironic are broad pop songs. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like they could be performed by a lot of other people. Like you would totally. you would definitely hear this kind of song from other people and, and we have and I don't usually like them from them either. So um even though I think a lot of times those songs are probably written by other people than the performer and she actually did write these songs, but I just I connect to this album more and to her more when she is sharing her experiences that I feel are more personal to her and anger than this kind of wisdom that I don't quite feel like someone of her age has totally earned yet. That said, though, I think that the next song in this album, Head Over Feet, is kind of funny in that it's both one of the broadest songs on the album, but also, like, I really connected with it. And I think it's pretty buoyant and relatively joyous and excited. Yep. I like this song a lot. I've always liked this song ever since I um, heard it way back on radio back in the day. I've never felt this healthy before I've never wanted something rational I am aware now I am aware now You've already won This was the first video of hers that I saw. Have you? Oh, the video is is beautiful. Like she's just so beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just her face. It's her face singing yeah. and sometimes not singing. To yeah, the it's track. a very strange video. There doesn't seem to be much rhyme or reason to which lines she's singing or when she's you know looking into the camera or she kind of like looks off and looks like she's not paying attention at times. And as far as I could tell, like it just seems like she kind of just did it randomly. I don't know if there I wonder, was more. Yeah, I wonder if there's even another take, like maybe two takes. I don't know. It just, like, you just yeah. see, I feel like I'm studying her. And she just is so likable and so pretty and, and young and just, like, I just love that she's... She's we- such a pretty girl, She's just, like, LNS. barely wearing makeup. You know, she's got a little, like, yeah. a little, like, you know, gloss on her lips or something. <laughs> and she's just, like, she just looks so genuine. And I think that if... 
anybody were to tell me that Alanis is like a giant bitch, like I'd be like, shut up. I don't want to know that. <laughs> like, because I Not have that nice girl. I have this like, I don't believe you. This, just what she presents to the world is the most genuine, likable person that yeah. I could never believe that she isn't that. Well, and I mean, like, thematically, the song, like, the word that I thought of is winsome. All of the lyrics in the song, even as kind of head over feet as they are, also contain that element of sardonic wit. Like, the the hook of the song is, you've already won me over in spite of me. Um, And I love just the trickiness of her lines in her lyrics and how quickly that kind of romantic sentiment contains within it, like, the seed of what she knows could destroy it. Like, and it's so difficult to contain that within a pop song that's also that fucking catchy. And, like, I really do think a lot of songwriters like John Lennon, for me, who I discovered later, like, his solo stuff, is often very much kind of otherwise plain pop or straightforward, straight-ahead pop or rock that just contains much darker elements or even the most jubilant parts of it are kind of also seeing the shadow cast by the cloud. Re-listening to it, especially as part of the whole album, I really enjoyed it again. Yeah, uh, this is for me is the exception in terms of her happier songs or more upbeat songs. Um, Because I like all the angry and sad ones and not most of the happy ones, but this is the happy one that I... Maybe my favorite track on the album or definitely the catchiest one for me. So Mary Jane is next, and honestly, guys, it took me a long time to know that she was talking about, like, pot or drugs, because <laughs> I don't think I understood that Mary Jane was, like, a nickname for her. I don't think marijuana. it's about that. Uh, I totally get that it's about drugs. Nope. How about you? <laughs> I mean, it's called Mary Jane. But it's it's not about... I don't think it's about drugs at all. Oh, I totally get I that. Think, it's... I think it's really about... What do you think it's I about? To look at I think the it's really again. about a friend who's going through a hard time. Yeah, and... because of drugs. <laughs> No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's because of drugs. Oh, at all. I think it's totally deliberate. Like she named it Mary Jane, and it's the lyrics to me, um, totally scream drugs to me. Um, I mean, let's lyric. Let's look it up right now. Um, I mean, counting sheep again, like sleeping all the time. So that mean could be depression. What's the point of trying to dream anymore? You're losing weight again. Like, it's like it just, an eating di- that could be an eating disorder or just depression or anxiety or grief. I guess That's, I see it's pot, really not it's I mean, I really see, not specific. I see pot and, dep- and depression just because it doesn't seem she used to enjoy things and now she doesn't. And so to me that I hear you're losing weight again. How is that associated with pot? <laughs> <laughs> Becky. <laughs> Becky. <laughs> I mean, it's full speed baby in the wrong direction. So that also s- screams to me like that sounds like worse drugs than marijuana. Well, that, that sounds like so. If it is drugs, well, I mean, I think it, it's not weed. <laughs> well, I think Mary Jane is a is a nickname for a, a drug, and it's I I can totally think that this song is about drugs. Somebody's on drugs. Could be. I had the opposite reaction of you because I just listened to the song for the first time yesterday and i was like oh mary jane it's a drug song and then i listened to it and i was like oh nope not about drugs oh i still i don't think you're gonna convince me about this (laughs) yeah i mean that's what i get out of it that's that her friend is dealing with um some sort of trouble with drugs
many dreams are you heavy? Please don't censor your tears. I mean, I feel like it's words of encouragement. Um, to a person who's in a vulnerable and depressed place. It may be someone who's having a drug problem, but I don't think it's about drugs at all. I think it's about, again, like toxic relationships um, and toxic relationships to the self. Like to this person is obviously not loving themselves um, and trying to find value in other people that they aren't putting in themselves. Um so it may well be about that, but I don't think it's I don't think it's a reference to weed at all. There are a couple lines that still pop out to me. One, there's a few more bruises if that's the way you insist on heading. And then the other line, um, don't censor your tears. Um, and that was a really interesting that was one that was a line that I really connected to. And obviously it's one that you can derive kind of multiple angles of looking at it from. Yeah, I mean, I think what I take away is just like having sympathy for someone who's going through a hard time. And that hard time could be a number of things. In an album that is primarily, it seems, directed at men and systems that feel kind of masculine, I think this is the one song that is kind of more feminine and more about like feminine solidarity. That's what I kind of took from it. Then the next song is her Giganto Explodo single, Ironic. Yeah, I already kind of touched on it. Chris is making a face. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't. I still I don't like, like this song. I don't think it's my favorite on the album. I mean, I'll still sing it, you know, in a car full of my ladies. But uh, are they all you? <laughs> they're all me. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you all wearing Victorian dresses and hoop skirts, my ladies? My ladies. <laughs> when I'm riding with my ladies in the carriage. <laughs> I know that a lot of people have like debated whether it's ironic or not. It doesn't really. I mean, I don't care. It's ironic. It's just a great hook for a song. It's dramatic irony. It's not ironic in the literature sense, but that is what dramatic irony means. It's when something serendipitous and unexpected happens that is related to another thing. Traffic jam when you're already late. A no smoking sign on your cigarette break. It's like 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife It's meeting the man of my dreams And then meeting his beautiful wife And isn't it ironic? Don't you think? A little too ironic And yeah, I really do think I think some of the things are ironic and some are not. Yeah, I don't... I read a lot on this this morning. Um, <laughs> Trying to come to a conclusion. I, no, I did too. I literally, like, read... I went to isitironic.com, <laughs> which is an entire website devoted to whether things are ironic or not. And there's a the definition of irony, examples of irony, and then there's a whole section called Alanis Morissette. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think that there is a... 
it's not the classical sense of irony, but I think cosmic irony. There, It's sort of been adapted to include some of the things in this song, but some of the things in this song are really just doesn't it suck. Like, the song should just be called Doesn't It Suck. Like That's not as catchy as Well, so what ironic. are the things that you don't think are in any way ironic? I don't think a fly in your Chardonnay is ironic. No, do you know why? It's a black fly in white wine. That's the joke of it. I don't. No, that is that. that is all that it is. That it's I, I will I think fully we can admit, be here all night going line by line and trying to debate. And now <laughs> we rain will. on your wedding day is not ironic. Don't you think? I don't. I don't think. Huh. It's yeah. not ironic. But yeah, I really do think. These are it's just like these are bad situations. Yeah, they're things that suck. And <laughs> but beyond just I think it'd be ironic if you had rain on your wedding day and then got divorced on a really sunny day. (laughs) Yes, that would be ironic. That would be ironic. But there's not enough information (laughs) about that. Tell us more, Alanis. All right, so we we know that Chris doesn't like the songs. Uh, Seth, just what do you feel about the song in general? Again, it's definitely the, it may be the broadest song on this album, Um, but I still love the hook. I do remember the commercial that Chris was talking about, (laughs) and I will freely admit that this is the one song that if I'm listening to this album, which I do at least once a year, I'll usually cherry pick and skip this one. Usually, if I'm going to skip anything, it's going to be this song. And it's still, I mean, people still know this song. It's still very classic today. So I think maybe it's also the song we hear the most when we hear an Alana song. If not, you ought to know. Yeah, which then leads into the next song on this album, Not the Doctor, which is um, Alana. Alanis is still one of my favorite artists ever. And this is most certainly one of my favorite songs she's ever written. I love singing along to this song. I don't even know what I can say about this song. I just, I just think it's a great song. It's a great pop song. It has such a fantastic acoustic guitar-based hook, um, and I just really love how the lyrics play with uh, medical and hospital terms and like the terminology and vocabulary of it um, without kind of going into stereotypes about drugs or stereo- like any of the kind of directions you would expect a pop song like that to go into. Um, I love the phrase, I am not the doctor, like in the sense that I can't cure or heal you, whoever that person is that she's addressing. Um, and really like the lyrics of it are very clever. Like, I don't want to be the sweeper of the eggshells that you walk upon. I don't want to be your other half. I believe that one and one make two. I don't want to be your idol. See, this pedestal is high and I'm afraid of heights. Um, I I loved how, again, how tricky and playful she is in setting up the lyrics where like each one is a setup and the next one knocks it down um and the the chorus is just great like the visiting hours are nine to five um but if she shows up late you're gonna make me she sing knows it you let it in i'm just so i want to sing this entire sing album it. right now we're gonna sing it at the end um <laughs> but uh, the sound of eye rolling you'll hear will be mine <laughs> No, he'll do yeah. the harmonica. Chris will play. <laughs> Chris will play the tambourine and the eye roll. I don't wanna be adored for what I merely represent to you. I don't wanna be a babysitter. You're a very big boy now. I don't wanna be a mother. I didn't carry you in my womb for nine months. Find some way to sneak me in and go Find the empty bottle 
Yeah, I enjoyed this song. I So coming to an album that has a lot of hit singles, you kind of expect those to be the best songs on the album, particularly in, I think, 90s albums, um, because that was back when you couldn't preview tracks on <laughs> albums, and right. so you would buy albums for the singles and then realize that every other track on it was complete garbage. Um, so I think we're used to having that happen, and even though this is a very acclaimed album... I was expecting to be less impressed by the non-single tracks than I was and ended up actually liking non-singles almost on the whole more than the singles. Aside from You Ought to Know and Head Over Feet, I like the non-album or the non-single tracks on this album more. And that includes Not the Doctor. So there wasn't anything specific I liked about this, but I did kind of like after some of the um, peppier songs that close out the album before this, like Ironic and uh, Head Over Feet, that it kind of heads back into an angrier place because I do think that that's where this album's strengths lie for me. The next song is Wake Up. And we'll say that it's the final song on the album. You know, like, You Ought to Know is reprised, as we explained earlier, at the end of this album. But really, Wake Up is kind of the uh, finale, the act three. Before the hidden track, too. Before the hidden track, which we'll also go into. Well, there's an apprehensive naked little trembling boy with his hands. I, I think that this is a song that's kind of a bridge to where Alanis goes musically in her next album, Supposed Former Infatuation Junkie, um, where there's less distorted guitar, um, less kind of upfront rockiness. Um, there are still hooks, but there's more of an emphasis on uh, melodic repetition and uh, musical motifs that kind of build uh, on themselves throughout the course of the song. And she definitely does it through many of the other songs, especially the non-singles on this album. But I feel like the the end of it is a kind of a thesis statement wrapping up the whole album. Like, um, uh, lyrically, like, I really like... Um, like, I, I mean, I think the song just has a really gorgeous hook. Um, and I think that that kind of windy electric guitar part with the pulsating like percussion loop in it and the bass that's like really pounding um, just makes the song very propulsive. Um, it ends very epically. It ends in a very epic, a good like, album dramatic closer. way. Like it's a, again, I think the sequencing of this album is just really 
um, thoughtful and makes it flow just incredibly well. Um, and I like the lyrically, I like how the song is kind of about how easy it is to get stuck in your own like inertia and your own uh, depression or your own kind of ways of seeing the world. And I was definitely in a similar place at the time. Um, so the lyrics that are like, you like snow, but only if it's warm, you like rain, but only if it's dry. Um, stuff like that was very, uh, while not being very lyrically specific in the kind of narrative sense that some of the other non-single songs are in here, I still felt it was very like emotionally compelling and really stirring and really matched the music well. Yeah, I surprisingly also really liked this song a lot. This is maybe what I would say is my favorite track on the album, though I'd probably have to listen to it more. But it's definitely the one that, I don't know, in a way surprised me the most. Um, just because, in a way, it's like the least specific song. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, to me, it, the lyrics that jumped out to me were, there's an apprehensive, naked, little, trembling boy with his head in his hands... There was an underestimated and impatient little girl raising her hand. And to me, that was a very... It, it really cemented the theme of the album, which is a young woman standing up against various systems and men who have Anta- kind of Antagonists tried, in her life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's not going to sit down and shut up. You know, the, the album doesn't end on a one of the happier... Like, it would have been maybe more predictable to end the album on You Learn or something like that. And the whole trajectory would have been like, oh, I learned and everything's fine. And this one is a much more powerful song that I think is kind of a call to arms in a way. And I mean, to me, to me, this did kind of read as a bit of a breakup song, but I think you could read it in a lot of different ways. But just that like, there's this guy in her life and whether or not it's an ex, he is the one who isn't able to face whatever he's trying to face as he's, you know, trembling and he's the one who's trying to take the easy way out because it's easier not to. But she's the one who's going to, you know, kind of fight on and tell her story. And so I really connected to this song just as a show of strength that I really appreciated and that speaks to the songs that jumped out to me as really the theme of the album, which are the ones that are her kind of against the world in one way or another. Yeah, and um, so after the You Oughta Know uh, reprise, there is a hidden track Remember when hidden tracks were a thing on albums? Yeah. <laughs> uh, about a minute after the second you ought to know is a song that's called Your House. Um, it is acapella. Um, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's kind of a sequel to You Ought to Know uh, about her breaking into her ex's house. It should and- have been called You Ought to Call the Police. <laughs> and he, she's like in in his like robe and taking a bath and then she sees... Uh, a love letter not written by her, and then she decides, oh, I should leave. <laughs> um, I loved this song when I, you know, back in the day, and in a previous podcast, we talked about how I would sing Colors of the Wind in the locker room. <laughs> this was another one of the songs that people would be like, sing the Alana song, Becky. <laughs> and I would sing Your House. And it was even better because the song is a cappella, so... I, I don't know. It sounded more alana when I sang it. But did you ever break into an ex's house and sing Colors of the Wind as you tried on his clothing? I have not. <laughs> He's like sleeping in bed. And you're like, you think you won't whenever land you land on. But this oh my was, God, is that Becky? Yeah, this was another uh, Becky classic in your <laughs> Did you have your own album? 
Was there a Becky Bankovic version of it? <laughs> Did I write a parody? I don't think so. I'm not you ruling it out, me though. love if I fart in your bed? <laughs> um, it's my favorite song about stalking since every breath you take. Um, discovering this was really mind-blowing for me. I was not told about it by any of my friends. Like, a lot of my friends were really into this album when it first came out, too. Um, but I wasn't told about it by anyone. I just literally had left it in my CD player, um, mm-hmm. and it continued playing after You Wanna Know, and then suddenly Atlantis is singing again, and I, it blew my fucking mind, and even more so that it was an acapella song. I've since heard the version of the song with instrumentation, and I think it's very inferior. Um, I think yeah, it just it's works... it's less powerful than it just works her voice. so well with just her voice by itself. Um, but the kind of hidden track thing was a holdover from the days when albums were on vinyl because there would be a cut in the center of the vinyl where the needle would just go around and around and around to keep it from damaging the rest of the record. And so, like, uh, artists like the Beatles would put kind of sound effects or weird little mm-hmm. vignettes in that cut. But then in the CD days, it kind of became a, a convention um, yeah. with particular artists and on particular albums where they would put a hidden track at the end. And sometimes that would just be a remix, but oftentimes it was like this where there was an entirely secret song and it wouldn't be listed on the track list. Um, but then, you know, it would suddenly kind of start permeating. Everyone would start telling everyone else there's a hidden track on this. But it was really cool if you were the one who first discovered it. Oh, absolutely. I, I did want to highlight this as well because this was a song where she name checks Joni and this also drove me to look up Joni Mitchell Mm -hmm. and so it was uh, also a pivoting point for me uh, because I really fell in love with Joni Mitchell and I think she is also lyrically and musically one of the most absolutely amazing songwriters who's ever lived Um, and I other than like the Pave Paradise and Put Up a Parking Lot sign I wouldn't have really investigated her music if if Alanis hadn't name dropped her um but though of course I had had no experience with stalking anyone um or really with romantic love at all it was also the like I said it was the period in my life when I started realizing I was gay and so I had like crushes on every boring existence and so it really I really connected with it because the intensity of the longing and I think there's an aspect of her where she realizes it's creepy too Mm -hmm. but that's the extent of that's the depth of how she feels about this person. And so, yeah, like it's kind of funnier in retrospect, but I also definitely connected to it when I first heard it. I took off my clothes, put on your robe, and through your drawers, and I found your cologne. Went down to the den, found your CD. And I played your Johnny And I shouldn't stay long You might be home soon I shouldn't stay long Would you forgive me, love? If I dance in your shower Would you forgive me, love? If I laid in your bed Would you forgive me, love? If I stay all afternoon 
Now, is the version with instruments set to, like, the pop of her early career, like, too hot? No. <laughs> That's too bad. It's it kind is of not a, a dance pop I think hit. it's acoustic. Well, Yeah, I think it's mostly acoustic. Yeah. Um, so, honestly, Chris, it sounds like you really like this album. I have a lot of respect for this album. <laughs> there is too much harmonica for me. I don't like harmonica. And every time... <laughs> The harmonica comes out. I'm like, oh, stop it. <laughs> Including in videos, like, she'll, like, suddenly, like, hold up her harmonica yeah. and start doing it. And I'm like, no! <laughs> no! Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would prefer the album if it actually, like, lost a couple of the tracks. And this is probably sacrilege to a lot of people because those are some hit singles. So, obviously, what do I know? Um, Which ones <laughs> she would have lost millions jettison? of dollars. Probably You Learn and Ironic. You know, like... There I go, cutting like the biggest single of the thing off the album. <laughs> but to me, the album would work better if it was a little more focused on just being a little bit more angsty, and I could go without the like sort of faux wisdom of some of the songs. I wonder if you say that, but if that's the way it was, there wouldn't be as much palate cleansers. It would be like too angry. I don't need my palate cleanse. <laughs> I I just all angry all the time is good for me. I would keep hand in my pocket because I think that's a unique enough song, even though it's not totally my favorite song. Like I think that's a good palate cleanser, but and maybe like Seth was saying that this is arranged really well, and I agree with him in terms of going between different moods and keeping things fresh, but I wonder if it might be interesting to try and arrange them in a way that kind of told a certain story and went from, I don't know, some kind of anger to enlightenment or something. Um, I don't know if that would be the right way to do it, but this album would work better for me if I could say, oh, this is specifically the story of the album versus, like, sometimes it seems like sort of a teenage angst and sometimes it seems sort of like a 35-year-old woman being like, I've found yoga and now everything's fine because (laughs) (laughs) that (laughs) that definitely uh segues very well into her second album so i I mean i was so obsessed with alanis and the whole world was so her follow-up album was very anticipated um i think it came out in 98 i remember um yeah, I think it was in high school. I first saw her in concert my freshman year yeah, it or came sophomore out 19, year. Came out nineteen ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah. Um. I was ready for you know Jag Little Pill number two. So she had gone to India in the interim, and you know she became very spiritual, and I think supposed former infatuation junkie. And I'll just say I do love it. I think it's a hard album to love, and it is not as accessible as Jag Little Pill. So I think it was seen as a disappointment. Um. It wasn't as commercially successful, but I mean it's kind of hard to beat. Jag Little Pill because of just how successful it was, but also critically. Um, and even though I do love it because I've lived with it for so long, like it is inferior to me to Jag Little Pill because I do think kind of the way that you feel about this, Chris, like I think it's really bloated. It's 17 tracks. There's a lot of different tones on the album and I would have like cut it in half and put like half the tracks on one side and half on the other. Like if it was a double album, just like there's a lot going on and it's not as... Um, accessible for a pop audience. Well, I mean, okay, so, like, I have many thoughts on this. I have said for a long time that both of these albums, like, saved my life at at the point in my life when I encountered them. Um, I think musically and lyrically in terms of the quality of the lyrics, I think supposed former Infatuation Junkie is, like, a huge, huge... It's several big steps forward. Um, I think the same pop 
songwriting, song craft is still there. Um, she started producing more of the songs herself and started also working with other producers other than Glenn Ballard, but I think she did nearly all of this with him um, as well. Um, but she really took the elements in Jagged Little Pill that were less at the forefront, like organs and synthesizers and keyboard stuff, and brought that more forward. Um, I will only stay kind of pretty general about this album, but she did go to India and did like get more of a spiritual bent in the lyrics. Um, like again, though, kind of from what I was saying, I, I think that was also a thing that she was pursuing like throughout. And, and so it was interesting because like, to me, one of the most kind of spiritual songs is Baba, which is about like rejecting, the idea that there is any one kind of leader or guru that you can go to who can fix you and solve all your problems. Um, it is definitely an overstuffed album. Um, and I think she had more to say and actually had learned more and had more life experiences. And I think she used every possible word she knew <laughs> to yeah. say it. I mean, I did learn a lot of words from Alanis, like uh, duplicity <laughs> In oh, the yeah. Jag Little Pill, there's a there's a couple in there's some great vocabulary lessons. She she definitely has a way of singing where she doesn't care if it flows, <laughs> like the word. She'll just like put a giant. I mean, just the word "supposed former infatuation junkie" like that phrase is just kind of crammed in a weird way in uh, that song, which is a song I love. So pure. So pure, which is also ve like very much a dance pop song. Oh yeah, I played like, it at my sweet song... sixteen. That was like a dance song. In my sweet yeah, 16. there's there's a song on supposed former infatuation junkie that really harkens back to the dance pop. Yeah, to the I'm... extent that I used to really not like it, but now I I really enjoy it, and I've like now having listened to even more of her earlier stuff, I I think it's kind of awesome that she in a way kind of checked that name checked that sound and kind of referenced that in a way. Yeah, um, I think some of the criticisms I have of that album are, like, a lot of the songs don't even have choruses. It's just kind of meandering thoughts. Like, that album kind of feels like she wrote diary entries and then put them to music and that was it. Versus Jag Little Pill feels like she wrote di diary entries and then tried to fit them into a song. Like, it just there's there's so many songs on that album that are just very meandering like you can't really sing along with them which is another thing that i felt like was missing from a lot of that second album and a lot of her follow-up albums from there there's you just you can't really sing along with them she's just kind of like singing herself um they're just they're hard to get in your head are you just mad that you can't perform them in a locker room for your friends <laughs> <laughs> I can try. <laughs> um, but the the there was just one line from the first song, um, Front Row, from that album that kind of, to me, answered, like, the first album. And the line is, do you go to the dungeon to find out how to make peace with your days in the dungeon? Um, and I took that to kind of be like, do you have to go through depressed feelings and you have to go through those kind of loops of regret and angst and all of that to, um, you know, to escape with them or escape from them and kind of get, get resolution from them. Uh, some trivia about that song. It's about Kevin Smith, <laughs> like the filmmaker of dogma and uh, how they didn't date, but they almost did. And that song is the reasons why they didn't. Which kind of makes sense because she's in the front row with popcorn. She's watching his movies. 
Is that true? Mm-hmm. I wa- what is well, your source for the this? The internet told me, but <laughs> uh, I think it's just some article online I was researching. Senor Yalo. internet. I mean, they're friends. She was in Dogma as God, so. She was, but I didn't hear any. I mean, some of those lyrics are, we started saying things why we wouldn't be together, like you smoke, you live in New Jersey. He started saying things like you belong to the world. It's the reasons why they weren't, they never got together. There are lines about your friend, Jay. (laughs) Your friends, Jay and Bob. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then she had a lot of follow-ups after that, um, Flavors of Entanglement. Um, I can't even remember. Under Rug Swept. Well, I, I think I own every Alanis album. A lot of it, I, a lot of it is a disappointment and doesn't fall anywhere near Jagged Little Pill, although I do have to say Under Rug Swept... I think she got a lot of her mojo back, and she that album is filled with like hook filled really like good bangers, pop songs, really yeah. great pop songs. So if you haven't given Underrug swept a uh, Underrug swept a chance, I would say you might want to check that one out. If you don't just sweep yeah. it under the rug, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, she's she's been in a lot of things since. Like she, um, she did a couple soundtracks. She has two children. She got married. She wrote an advice column for The Guardian this past year. That's right. I was reading that. She had a single called Guardian. Oh, that's, that's right. true. Um, she appeared on, like, Sex in the City and Curb Your Enthusiasm and Weeds. She's done some acting. I think she's, like, done some aromatherapy stuff. She's, like, really big on that. No joke. I think <laughs> no, she has, I, like, yeah, I totally s- believe some it. signature sense. She also did one of the internet's very best videos ever, <laughs> which is uh, My Humps, which we were yes. watching just before recording this. <laughs> I, I think and... this is a key musical moment in Alanis's career that even though we aren't highlighting songs from every other album, I think we have to play some special moments from Alanis's very, very committed, serious cover of the Black Eyed Peas, My Humps. What you gonna do with all that junk? Drunk of my arm. What you gonna do with all that ash? All that ass inside them jeans. I'm gonna make, make, make you scream, make you scream, make you scream. They say I'm really sexy. The boys, they wanna sex me. They always Dancing next to me Trying to feel my hump hump Looking at my lump lump You can look but you can't stop So that was amazing. <laughs> I think it really shows that Alanis has such a good sense of humor too. Like I want to hang out with her. Alanis, are you out there? Can I like buy you like Alanis, some... Alanis, we some... know you live in LA. Like <laughs> let's go get brunch or something. Come on. Seriously. You can come too, Chris. Okay, I'll, I'll keep my feelings about ironic. <laughs> what if there were flies in the Chardonnay? What, when what we then? Had it would be brunch. so ironic. Yeah, just don't order like, wine. Oh my God, the I think, irony. I think if you were at out. brunch with Alanis just and there was a fly Moses. in your Chardonnay, that would be ironic. That, that probably would be ironic. <laughs> a little too ironic. <laughs> and yeah, I really do think. 
And I really do think that's all the time we have today on When We Were Young. So in our next episode, we will be uh, grooving back to the 70s and the 90s in the Brady Bunch movie and the Very Brady sequel, which uh, two of our hosts like very much and one of them has never, ever heard of or seen. So A Brady what now? Ah, we gave it away. So enjoy that. Put on your Sunday best because we're going to Sears. <laughs> the When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, if you like this podcast that we create and bring to you for free, there are a couple ways that you can help support us. One way is to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes where you give us four or five of your most precious stars. Or ironically, one star. No, we do not accept ironic or sardonic or in any way, uh, uh, we appreciate straightforwardness in reviews. All right, have one hand in your pocket and the other one given us five stars. That's much more like it. Uh, you can leave us a review there. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. You can follow us and tweet us at show and leave us suggestions for future episodes on any of those venues. You can send us an email as well at show at gmail.com. And again, if you want to help us defray the costs of producing a show that comes to you entirely for free, but that costs us dignity alcohol, and several food items in order to construct, you can support us by donating to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash when we were young. So I'm Becky. I'm Chris. And I'm Seth. (laughs) Chris? Life has a funny, funny way of, I don't know what. (laughs) We don't need that last word. (laughs) Here, can you handle this? Nope. Can't handle it. it. Get your guitar. All right, we have relocated to Becky's high school locker room, <laughs> and we are now coming to you live with a uh, Alanis Morissette musical selection. Uh, an emotion away, right? That's what you guys are doing. <laughs> Weird Becky Bankovic presents. <laughs> we will be uh, hearing uh, Not the Doctor, uh, vocals performed by Becky Bankovic. <laughs> Seth Pearson Kovic. On the guitar, and uh, in it. <laughs> oh.
only messed up once. Or all the way through, depending on what you think about my singing. No. You're a great voice.